Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we share our weekly messages, and from time to time, you'll see some other things as well. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can contact us, visit bcwc.org. Well, good morning. Thanks for worshiping together this morning, for gathering. Good morning to everybody watching online as well. We've been working on this series on the Gospels, these four different accounts or portraits of who Jesus is, Jesus' life and teaching, death and resurrection. Each writer provides us with a unique portrait, portrait of the same king, highlighting and revealing different things, different hues and shapes. Last week, Mark showed us about the suffering king through this action-like gospel. Mark loves the word immediately. And today, we're turning to the gospel of Matthew. So I want you to imagine for a second that because of your faith, because of the way you are expressing your faith, because of following Jesus, you are now perhaps facing cold shoulders from family members. People frustrated with the way that you live your faith. Perhaps even in your own faith community, people think you don't belong. You don't fit. And so you're asking questions like, how can I fit in this world? Where can I find fulfillment? Is this how things are supposed to go? That was the reality for many early Christians who are the audience of this gospel, the gospel of Matthew. Matthew is writing to what is likely a group of Christians, mostly from a Jewish background, who are struggling with who they're supposed to be and how they're supposed to live in the world. They're perhaps wondering, is Christianity really worth exploring, really worth following, really worth living? Isn't there more to all of this than all the politics and anger and rage and fear and refusal to listen that characterizes so many people as they express their faith? Perhaps that sounds familiar. Matthew is a book for you. Matthew's favorite word seems to be the word fulfill. It shows up all over throughout this gospel. And Matthew was the most popular gospel of the early church. It's the most quoted, most referred to. And in Matthew, there are the most quotations of the Old Testament. It's deeply tied to the Hebrew Scriptures. The early church considered Matthew to be sort of this help, this guide for their community. How will we figure out who will be and how we'll live? Matthew was their key resource. And so even though Matthew was written after the Gospel of Mark, it shows up first in our New Testament. Because it was always listed first when the Gospels were grouped together because it was so influential, so significant to the life of the church. Here in this 1,200-year-old manuscript collection of the Gospels, we have a picture of the different Gospels symbolized. Matthew is here in the top left. Matthew is often symbolized by a man or an angel. In this case, a man holding uh, this item that would have been used to participate in the work of communion in the early church. Matthew is a book for the church. So as we get into Matthew's gospel, it's helpful to know who wrote it, why, 
It's anonymous, but the earliest manuscripts we have bear this title, the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew appears to be this Christian with a great grasp of both the Greek language and the Hebrew scriptures. The writer's uh, an excellent crafter of language and an incredible student of the Hebrew Bible. Matthew's gospel uh, is this gospel chock full of all these connections to what God has been doing in the past. It contains a lot of what is contained in Mark. It seems like Matthew likely had a copy of Mark, but it is longer and it has much more content, especially these direct teachings of Jesus. So Matthew's writing to these Christians with Jewish backgrounds, connected to their Jewish community. And most scholars think Matthew was written around the year 80, and that's really important. Because about 10 years before that, something big had happened. In the midst of a revolt of the Jewish people from the Roman Empire, the Romans had destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, the place where they worshipped. And so Matthew is writing to this collection of people who are on the other side of a difficult historical event. Their temple has been destroyed. The way that they had worshipped had been destroyed. People had been scattered. And this church is emerging, the church of Jesus, which is a mix of people with Jewish backgrounds and non-Jewish backgrounds, all while the tension between those with the Jewish backgrounds and those from Rome were at an all-time high. These Christians were facing all of these challenges. Dealing with challenges all around them, maybe cast aside by their family for choosing to follow Jesus. Maybe struggling with what does this mean about the faith that I grew up practicing. Maybe dealing with this conflict even in their own communities between people from different cultures. What do we hold on to from our faith? How do we deal with our differences? What does it mean to follow Jesus? These people must have felt confused and worried and unstable and unsure and maybe unfulfilled. So Matthew says, I have good news. The good news of Jesus. Jesus, who is deeply connected to the faith of God's people, the historic Jewish faith, Jesus, who is also opening a new future where all are welcome to the family. So if Mark was like an action movie, Matthew is more like a twisty thriller. If you've ever seen M. Night Shyamalan's The Sixth Sense, or Ryan Johnson's Knives Out, right? There's some kind of twist at the end. You've seen these movies, and then if you go back and watch them again, you see new things because you know the ending. That's sort of what Matthew is doing here, showing how the whole Old Testament points to Jesus, a king who fulfills both the Old Testament and our lives. Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard said, we understand life backwards, but we must live it forwards. Ain't that the truth? (laughs) The older we get, the more that we know, yes, we understand life backwards, but we must live it forwards. Hindsight is 20-20. Matthew is helping us look back and understand God's story and then letting it shape us as we live forward. So, we turn to the Gospel of Matthew. We start in 1, verse 1. Matthew 1.1 says, An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, if you were here during Advent, you'll remember that we spent a bunch of time on the genealogy of Jesus and you're thinking, oh no, not again. (laughs) 
We will not go back into the list of all the names. Don't worry. We're just looking at verse 1. But like Mark, Matthew wants to use his first verse to tell us something about what we'll learn throughout this whole gospel. He says this is the account of the genealogy, which that language directly is the same kind of language where we might hear the the beginning of the genesis of Jesus. Matthew wants us to remember the whole story from the beginning. Jesus was. That when we think about all things, when we think about the beginning of all things, when we think about God, think about Jesus. Theologian and Professor Stanley Hauerwas says, for some time, that is often the time identified as modern, Christians and non-Christians alike have thought that belief in God depends on whether you think the world had a beginning, that something had to start it all. God, therefore, then just becomes an explanation for why there is something rather than nothing. However, the God that must exist in order to show us that what exists has a beginning, too often, due to our fantasies, is not the God who comes to us in Jesus Christ. It is the Christian conviction, a conviction shaped by the grammar of the very first verse of the Gospel of Matthew, that we can know there is a beginning because we have seen the end in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We understand life backwards as we live it forwards. Jesus is the Messiah. The Anointed One, Matthew says, the title from the Old Testament, Son of David, Son of Abraham. Why these two? David was a king and a future king was promised. Jesus is that king. And Abraham, Father Abraham, had many sons. You know the song? Abraham was given a promise by God way back in Genesis that God would make Abraham a great nation And by Abraham's descendants, all the world would be blessed. So Jesus, yes, is the king, an answer to the promise of David, and also an answer to Abraham's promise. Jesus would bless the whole world. Matthew wants us to look back, starting in verse 1, at all the Hebrew Scriptures, letting our perspective of Jesus shape all that we see. He will do that all the way through the book. Because he understands that Jesus fulfills every promise, every hope of God found in the Old Testament. And I want to point out another example in 21 and 23 uh, of chapter 1. Matthew telling the story about Mary says this. And she will bear you a son and you will name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord Through the prophet, look, the virgin shall become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus is God with us. And Matthew quotes that verse from Isaiah 7.14. But what's so interesting is that in the Hebrew text, it says a young woman shall be pregnant. The Greek word for young woman that Matthew would have read in his translation of the Hebrew Scriptures You could mean young woman or virgin. Isaiah was just talking about a specific birth of a specific child in the reign of King Ahaz. And then when Matthew goes back to Isaiah, sees that there was deeper meaning all along, that is, looking back, sees fuller truth illuminated by Jesus. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. 
Jesus says it himself in Matthew 5, 17, when Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or prophets, that is the Hebrew scriptures, I've come not to abolish, but fulfill. There's Matthew's favorite word, fulfill. And fulfill in his writing means, yes, complete, but also transcend to go beyond, bring new understanding, new frame of reference, a brand new trajectory to how we engage the world. A direction, an arrow, a way of understanding that will help us move forward as we live. One of my professors, David Garland, says it like this, the law and the prophets remain valid, but Jesus is the canon by which to gauge obedience to the scripture and its sole interpretive guide. Jesus fulfills the story of God, and I find this trajectory language so helpful Because Matthew is showing us in our modern world how we might approach our world with this story of Jesus. Matthew knows the issues, the tensions, the challenge of his audience. And in light of what he knows about Jesus and his love and his sacrifice and his hope, he shapes his narrative to help them see something that God has for them. And this is a message for us today because Because Scripture is not just some rule book or some history book. The Gospel point us to deep theological truths that we can bring with us into our world and into our own tensions. They help us engage and shape how we live and think about the issues of our day through the lens of the One who fulfills all things, Jesus. How might what we know about Jesus shape how we engage what is around us? How might we have a trajectory to live forward? I can be annoyed sometimes that the Bible isn't a little bit more direct. That it doesn't just have a bullet list to say, here's things you've got to know as you walk in your life in 2023. Here's the deal. I wish the New Testament writers would have given us this list and said, oh, by the way, slavery is bad. Women are equal to men. They should lead. Racism is bad. Maybe they could have gotten into the things that we argue about that are are less important. Here's the best way to do government. Now stop arguing. Here's the best ice cream flavor. Everybody else is wrong. It's cookie dough, by the way. (laughs) Okay. But what Scripture does is not just give us a list. Instead, it invites us to see a person. And the scripture writers were writing in their culture, in their times, and even in their culture, in their times, they were doing revolutionary work on things like equality and liberation and gender. Even writing revolutionary things on food and drink. Even if ice cream isn't spilled out. Jesus fulfills the story of God and fulfills our stories. We get a lens, a trajectory, both to see backwards and to see forward. A way of living that transcends any historical moment. But a way to wrestle together, to think together, to apply Jesus in whatever we face. It is this trajectory that Jesus brings As he preaches that great sermon on the mount that happens in Matthew 5 through 7. I want to read just the beginning of that. But as we read, and I'll read the first 12 verses of that sermon. 
I want you to imagine Matthew's audience hearing this. The people who first received this communication, this good news. People who were unsure and challenged, unstable and unfulfilled. Matthew 5. When Jesus saw the crowds, He went up to the mountain. And after He sat down, His disciples came to Him. And He began to speak and taught them and said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil things against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is there among the crowd, but then he goes up to a mountain and his closest followers choose to follow him there. I love that. Because Jesus is going to give this vision of what it looks like to be part of the Jesus community and it takes these people choosing to go and listen, to buy in, to opt in. Perhaps God is nudging you to opt in today. To being willing to follow Jesus even in difficult territory and Jesus teaches here that God is doing something new. This word blessed could be wonderful news. It's not instructions, but an announcement. I used to think, okay, well, if this is what it is to be blessed, poor in spirit, mourn, meek, hunger and thirst, merciful, pure, I need to be all of these things. I need to find some things to mourn about. <laughs> no. It's good news to those who are already in all of these states who are already struggling and trying, persecuted, mourning, poor in spirit. For those who've been cast aside and looked over good news, God is turning things upside down. Something has changed. Because a new king has come. A king that brings fulfillment even to those who are unfulfilled. This is news. The world has changed. The kingdom is coming even now on earth as it is in heaven. And you, you, rejected by your family, wrestling with who you are, you, not sure what to do or where to go, where you're going to sleep tonight, I've got good news for you. This is an announcement. This sermon of what the community of God, the people of God can be like. It's not a sermon to be given to any individual to figure out how to do it all yourself. It's how we look together. You read the Sermon on the Mount, and I promise you, you'll say, I'm not living up to this. Yeah, me neither. But what if this characterized who we are together? Jesus fulfills the Old Testament and us with a new community. See, in church, in a community of people chasing after Jesus, we get to have a new way of seeing the world together a new way of being both in here and out there 
The story continues. Matthew takes us through all kinds of teachings, miracles. But I want to skip to the end. And I want to read how this mission, this fulfillment, this new way of living will not be contained just in one historical moment, just in one group of people. This is Matthew 28, 16-20. Here, the last words of Matthew. They come after Jesus' death and resurrection. And the church is charged with a new way of living in the world. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but they doubted. We could camp out there forever, these disciples who worship Jesus and doubt at the same time. (laughs) And Jesus came to them. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I love that Jesus comes to them in the midst of their worship and their doubt, of their questions of how do we move forward? Who will we be? They don't have to have it all figured out. Jesus comes to them. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so go therefore. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go, Jesus says. You have a role to play in all of this. You are a part of this. Jesus fulfills us by giving us a new way of being in the world. Howard Ross also writes, Matthew writes, so that we can become followers, be disciples of Jesus. To be a Christian does not mean that we are to change the world, but rather that we must live as witnesses to the world that God has changed. Ooh, I like that. I'm going to say it again. To be a Christian does not mean that we are to change the world, but rather we must live as witnesses to the world that God has changed. We look backwards and see what God has done and go forwards as witnesses of what God is still doing, has done in us. The world is changed. Imagine Matthew's first audience hearing these words. From different backgrounds and different nations, go therefore make disciples of all nations. Oh, I guess that's all of us. Matthew's audience there, worshiping and doubting, confused and concerned, go. Wondering how they'll move forward when so much has happened in their past. What will they do with all the division and challenge? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus says, go. Go and make disciples. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, I've come not to abolish your life, but fulfill it. To take it beyond what you could imagine. And Jesus ends with a promise. I am with you always. 
You who may feel rejected or alone, I am with you always. You who are afraid of what will happen someday, I am with you always. You who are concerned that you'll be rejected, cast out, not sure how you fit anymore, I am with you always. Theologian Anna Case Winter says, I am with you is the beginning, the middle, and the end of Matthew's Gospel. Jesus is identified at the beginning as Emmanuel, which means God with us. Midway in the Gospel, Jesus comes to the disciples across storm-tossed seas, addresses them with assuring presence, take heart, it's I, don't be afraid. And now a promise is given at the end, I am with you always to the end of the age. It is the final word of the Gospel and perhaps the only word we really need. Jesus fulfilled all that has gone before, fulfills us with new community, fulfills us with a new way of being, and is right there beside us, always. So as you go this week, I want to give you some challenges. If Matthew is to be a sort of guide for the church, perhaps we should read it. Perhaps we should use it. Perhaps we should look to it. So I want to give you a challenge. This week, I want you to read Matthew 5 through 7. That's the Sermon on the Mount. Take just those chapters. Read them. Spend time with them. Think about them. Because what they mean for a community of believers is what they tell us about Jesus. And then I want you to ask yourself how God, how you might respond, how God might want you to respond to this commission here in the end of Matthew. Matthew 28, 16 through 20, go therefore. And then I want you to try it. To share the love of God with someone this week. After you spend time in 5 and 7, after you pray about this commission, is there a way that you can move forward with it into the world. And may you see how much fulfillment comes in the Christ who sets us free. Let us pray. God, thank you for this opportunity to be together, to worship together. God, as you have given your gospel, they come to different audiences, different Christians struggling with different things and they find us today with our own challenges, our own question marks, our own frustrations. Jesus, may we let you be the trajectory that sets our life. And may you fulfill not just the Scripture that you have already fulfilled, but may you fulfill us in our pursuit of You and as we go, may we live as witnesses to the world that You have changed. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or are looking for ways that you can support God's work at this church, visit bcwc.org. And as you go, through whatever your day may throw at you, I want to share this blessing with you. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness, protect you in the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing 
once again into our doors. Go and be the church.